0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Leadership Biz Cafe. I'm your host, Tanveer Nasir. On Leadership Biz Cafe, we look at the pressing issues leaders face today and provide you with the insights and tools that will help you succeed at leadership
1: in today's ever-changing global business environment. The worst thing in the world is you're speaking to your coworkers and presenting on a topic and they're all looking down at their phones. Like why even have that meeting? It's a total waste of time.
0: Thanks to today's digital technology, we have so many different platforms and communication channels that make it easier to collaborate and connect with people outside of our office walls. But is that same technology making our workplaces feel less human? That's the question I examine with my guest, Dan Schabel. Dan is a New York Times bestselling author of two career books, Promote Yourself and Me 2.0. He's also partner and research director at Future Workplace and founder of both Millennial Branding and WorkplaceTrends.com. Through his companies, he's conducted dozens of research studies, working with major brands like Microsoft, Virgin, IBM, Coca-Cola, and Oracle. His latest book is Back to Human how great leaders create connection in the age of isolation, which points out while digital technologies and platforms may allow us to be more connected to our work, it's also causing us to be less connected to the people we work with, and consequently, more lonely in our workplaces. I'm gonna talk with Dan about his new book and why leaders need to be paying attention to this negative impact digital technology is having on your employees, and with it, on your organization's productivity. And bottom line. So hi, Dan. Welcome to the show. Happy to be here. Now, before we can discuss some of the ideas you share in your book, Dan, I was wondering if you could share a bit of the background behind where the findings and insights you share in your book come from.
1: Yeah. So there I interviewed 100 young leaders at 100 of the biggest, most well-known companies in the world, like Johnson & Johnson, GE, Uber, and Facebook. And I also worked with Virgin Pulse to interview over 2,000 managers and employees in 10 countries. Then it's personal experience and secondary research reports of about 220 citations in the book. And so it's, it's also being a leader. You know, every book I've written helps people get to the next phase of their career. Me 2.0 is college to first job. Promote yourself was first job to management and back to human is a leadership book because about half of people my age I'm a millennial I'm 35 now uh, have a management title and above and about 5% have a director title and above so they're all in this position right now where they're trying to figure out how to you know how to be a leader how to you know manage people and create a good workplace culture and i recognize that one of the things that might seem like it's helping with the workplace culture but really might not be is our overuse and misuse of technology the technology we're using on a daily basis like collaborative tools such as slack to communicate with our teams and if we're only relying on these technology tools as a crutch we're missing the precious face-to-face interactions that are required for health happiness well-being productivity Uh, And just those relationships at work that make you want to wake up every morning excited to go into the office or, you know, even work remote. You know, I have to admit, Dan, uh, coming from a medical science background,
0: this really piqued my interest. And I have to compliment you on how well researched this book is while at the same time being very approachable and accessible, which is in many ways kind of the theme of your book. And speaking of which, the basic statement of your book is that while we may be living in an era where we have so many more communication channels from emailing and text messages to social media and online collaboration tools like Slack, which you just mentioned, the sad truth is that there is a growing majority of us who are becoming increasingly isolated and lonely For example, how even in UK, they've actually started a ministry of loneliness to address that this is a common social issue that's becoming a major health and mental wellness issue. And as you write in your book, researchers have found that just by spending two hours a day on social media doubles your risk of social isolation. So to start a discussion of your book and the findings of this study that you did with Virgin Pulse, could you tell us,
1: Dan, why this
0: should concern leaders and the
1: organizations they lead? Yeah, I think all leaders should create workplace cultures that provide a safe environment where people feel like they belong. They're part of something bigger than themselves. And really, this is the core of our human needs, right? Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You need safety, security, you know, food and shelter uh, before and then then love and friendships before you can be self-actualized. So you can never do your best and reach your full potential, which your corporation is looking for. Uh, if you're worried about fitting in, if you're worried that you're not getting enough attention and recognition, if you feel isolated and lonely, uh, you're just not going to do your best. And so I think that it's important and almost a responsibility of a leader today and in the future to maintain a human contact in a world where we're increasingly using this technology. People tap their phones, uh, over 2,600 times a day and look at their phones every 12 minutes. So there's a, a lot of addiction that's going on. I think what you said about the book and how I've written it is hundred percent what I was going for right? It's like heavily researched. I have an enormous research background, 45 research studies interviewed over 90,000 people in 20 countries plus 2,000 one-on-one interviews. So significant research background yet, You know, I didn't, you know, go to an Ivy League school. I'm, you know, I'm not an academic. So, um, what you see here is is very approachable. You know, it's it's something that everyone should at least think of, right? If you hold the book, the name tag that says "Hello, my name is Human" is a reminder that despite all these new, you know, technology devices, chatbots, virtual reality, augmented reality, you know, watches, um, you know, humanity is important. We're all human. We all make mistakes. We all have the need to connect and if that and and while we think the technology is making us hyper connected these relationships tend to be weaker and i mean the big finding in the study that you know it fascinated me at least is that if you work remote you're much less likely to say you want a long-term career at your company so if you're not getting that human connection because you're isolated and lonely at your home or in a coffee shop uh, then you're probably not going to stay with that company too much longer because you don't have those strong relationships, right? Like there's an old Gallup study called vital friends many years ago, uh, that showed that if you have friends, especially best friends, you're more likely to stay at a company longer and be productive. And it just makes sense because especially how my generation looks at corporations, you view your manager as your work parent, your coworkers as your work family, Uh, After studying organizations and their cultures for over 10 years, the best cultures, the ones that are all always on the best place to work list are the ones that create a family culture where you feel like you belong, people are taking care of you, they're supporting you so that you can share your ideas without penalty. Um, And so if there is good diversity within an organization that works, especially if you have leadership that allows them to freely share their ideas and rewards those risks, those ideas that actually bring a company uh, forward and and maintain, you know, creativity and innovation. Dan, when I read that
0: finding in your book about how. There's so few people who have friends at work. That was just like unbelievable to think about that. Because I think throughout my work career, I've always had people who were friends. There's people who I'd go out. We'd go out for lunch or we'd say, hey, it's Friday. Let's go all out for dinner and stuff like that. That was just the norm. And hearing that finding was really alarming, especially because, as you pointed out, we really don't, you know, watch the clock and say, oh, it's five minutes to five o'clock. I'm going to start wrapping stuff up. We just don't do that. But That finding about the lack of friends in the company is particularly alarming, and I think it should be alarming for leaders because we all know that common a days that people do not leave organizations, they leave bad bosses, but it makes it so much easier for us to do that if we feel a complete lack of connection to not just the work, but to the people around us that we have to work with.
1: Yeah, and you know, forging those connections It is about having the right culture, having a supportive manager, really, you know, embracing people, letting them share their ideas in meetings, let technology get you into that meeting, but in the meeting, make sure people are attentive and present so that they can share ideas and feel like they're respected because the worst thing in the world is you're speaking to your coworkers and presenting on a topic and they're all looking down at their phones. Like why even have that meeting? It's a total waste of time. And so I think being present, being attentive, sharing ideas, giving feedback, all of these things are are just different touch points, right? That's what it comes down to. And as a leader, you want to have as many touch points as possible. You want to constantly check in, you know, give recognition, you know, mentor, you know, I have a whole chapter on shared learning, chapter three, which is people are really enjoying about how. You you know, the best way to learn and keep up with the speed of business is to share what, you know, freely and openly. And I think, you know, especially now we're all in teams and if you can spread knowledge across the team, then everyone benefits, including the leader and the organization. And so, it, it you know, the non-selfish act of sharing enables your team to be more successful and then you benefit as a result. So I'm trying to get leaders to think of it differently, right? Like in the past... Maybe like 10, 20 years ago, the people who were the most powerful are the ones that held on to information selfishly and ordered it. Whereas today, to gain power and influence, it's about freely sharing ideas um, and your voice with others. And so the more you share what you know with your team, the more they're able to catch up to speed and stay relevant in the economy. That's changing so fast And, and eventually fill your internal skills gap there's 6.9 unfilled jobs in america right now and it's the highest it's been since i've studied it for many many years and if if we do put a more of a focus on learning and development within the organization for leaders for employees it's just going to be much easier to fill those gaps and more cost effective Absolutely. And actually, Dan, I think it's a perfect time for us to
0: dive into the book because you mentioned something that I absolutely want to touch on with you because it's one of my passions that I absolutely enjoy reading about and discussing with people. So let's dive in here and talk about your book where you focus on three key areas that leaders should work on to address this growing issue uh, which has a tangible impact on organizations ability to achieve its vision and long-term goals and those three areas which we've kind of been dancing around are mastering self-connection creating team connection which we kind of were just started talking about and building organizational connection And within each of these, there are specific areas you write about as to how leaders can nurture and sustain these different connections. And for our conversations, I'd like to touch on a few of them. And I know you mentioned one, but I'd like to start off with in the terms of mastering self-connection. One of the things that you write about is how leaders should focus on fulfillment. Now, I've written about purpose, and I've given a TED Talk on the importance of purpose, and I'll include links to that in the show notes on my website. But what was always interesting uh, about this idea is I always get questions from people about how they weren't sure how to identify what their purpose is. Now, for me, fulfillment goes to the next stage, and I can imagine some people are struggling with how do I find fulfillment not only for myself, but also as leaders? How do we help our employees find what makes them feel fulfilled at work? Especially when we consider that technology, in particular our smartphones, have made so that we're working, as we've just discussed, longer hours, we respond to those text messages and emails, and as we just mentioned, you can be even doing it during a meeting, uh, not just outside of work hours, and that this is leading to higher levels of stress, anxiety, and I'm sure is fueling this rise we're seeing in mental health issues across the board. So let's start there, Dan. How do we go about finding personal fulfillment and aiding our employees to do the same in this always-on digital world that we have to live and work in?
1: Yeah, I think social media has tricked us into thinking that we're either fulfilled or, or that we need to seek what others have in order to make us fulfilled, and that's simply not the case. I think everyone's different and has their own view of what fulfillment looks like for their life and i think in order to make your team fulfilled you have to focus on yourself first right like how am i supposed to inspire you uh, along this vision and mission if i am lost if i don't know where we're going how am i supposed to drive this ship if i you know i'm taking the wrong turn if i don't know where i'm going if we don't know how we're going to compete in this market um, you know and so i think The more you focus on fulfilling yourself and realizing, you know, what your goals are and what, you know, makes your team special and unique and how, you know, everyone's, you know, strengths can really lend to the overall mission, then it's much easier to have these one on one meetings to be able to support individual needs and really learn about. And even when you when you hire, it's like you got to figure out what are people looking for, and does that align with where you're going as a company? And I, you know what I would ask is, you know, what, is, what, is, what do they enjoy doing the most? What do your past accompl, accomplishments tell you about your strengths? Uh, I would ask them about values. I think every organization should have values, not just people. And so you you want alignment. You know, obviously you want to hire diverse employees, but their values. Like I'm friends with a lot of people who don't look like me, who come from various backgrounds. We have the same values, but I learn from them because we're also come from a different environment. And I think that is, uh, those are like the best friends to, to, you know, people to be friends with and the people to work with at the same time. Then you need both. Um, and I think by talking openly about, what makes you fulfilled and finding out what makes them fulfilled even during the interview, before you hire them, you get a pretty good sense of, is this going to be a good fit? You know, are we going to get along? Are you going to get along with the rest of the team? And you know, I think to do that, you just need to talk on a personal level with them. You know, people want to bring their full self to work and you need to embrace that support that and meet them where they are because everyone, you know, is bringing some pain or frustration or baggage into the workplace, whether they know it or not, right? Because what happens in someone's personal life makes its way into the workplace. What happens in the workplace makes its way into their personal life. Uh, and that's why I have personally focused and what makes me fulfilled is helping create better, healthier work cultures because that's going to help people overall in their life because we spend a third of our lives working. Um, And I think in terms of how you manage, once you figure out what's, what makes you fulfilled and excited, how you manage that is not through work-life balance. It's work-life integration. It's thinking about the top three personal professional things you want to do on a daily basis and then build your calendar to reflect that. Right. And so many people use their calendar for just business things, but I think you have to use it for everything. I think you have to build personal activities into the calendar, because what we found in a study with Kronos is that uh, almost three out of every four employees globally doesn't have enough time to do personal related activities. But, you know, and I think that's probably why work is defining us more and more now. But I think people need to start to integrate personal with professionals so that they can be complete and fulfilled uh, across their whole life, because we're working so hard that If we don't make time for personal things, we're going to be unfulfilled no matter how many goals we meet in the workplace. Absolutely. And I'm just chomping at the bit because you've mentioned it,
0: Dan, and it's another element in this section of mastering self-connection. And as I said, it's something that really resonates me. It's this idea of practicing shared learning. Now, while you don't have to convince me, Dan, for why this is a good thing, because I just love reading about learning and the importance of it in context of leadership in today's organizations. But I was wondering if you could explain why this is so important in terms of overriding the isolating tendencies, digital technology and genders, especially for those listening who share or who view a shared learning culture as being nice, but not necessary. And more importantly, how do we go about promoting this shared learning culture in our organization?
1: The good news is, I don't know if I could have written this chapter 10 years ago. I think the reason why it's relevant now is because there's so much information at our disposal, right? There's online courses, whether they're free or low cost. There's so many different classes that you can take. There's so much information. There's so many reports that are published every day, so many articles and trends. So all the information exists, but now i think if you're on a team or you're a leader you can be the filters of this information for your specific team and organization and industry so that you can provide value very quickly to people because if you're like i do every morning i wake up and for an hour i i try and respond to the question what's going on in my world right and so i'm always looking at the latest trends and research and then I'm taking that information and I'm taking the things that are applicable to each individual teammate I have and sharing it with them so that they're more effective at their job. Right. And I think, I think getting into the practice of doing this is great because then your teammates will start to share more and that's how you create the culture of sharing is the leader has to lead. The leader has to be the one to start sharing so that other people feel comfortable. And it's share your best information, share your best ideas, share your best reports, share, share as much as you can and be the filter for your team because people don't have time to look through a million different articles. Um, so what ends up happening when it comes to learning is you start to subscribe and look at many different sources. And then over time, you realize that 80% of those sources are not providing as much information. at the 80-20 principle. And then the 20% is what you invest in every day so that you become smarter and more aware of what's going on. You know, there's a point you bring up, and I absolutely love this chapter, Dan, because there's a great point you bring up about
0: how, as leaders, we have to be aware of how people learn differently. And this is, I think, is incredibly important, especially when we think about how schools and educational institutions are still using this one-size-fits-all approach to education. I mean, we all recognize now that people communicate differently and how some people might be very comfortable speaking up at a meeting about a new proposal, while others will like to have some time to ponder it and then perhaps share the perspective more in a one-on-one approach. And so I think when it comes to creating a shared learning culture and organization, as you pointed out... The, the, the great benefit is we all this information is now there at our fingertips, but we also now have to be recognizing as leaders this reality of how people have different approaches to learning. And consequently, we have to provide that kind of an environment and those resources to ensure that we are not just maximizing our learning, but as you pointed out, the retention of these new insights and approaches in terms of how we're allowing it to spread. So I'm not just learning it, but I'm
1: sharing it with those around me as well. And, you know, any like any habit, you do it subconsciously after a while. Like, it's so interesting. I've done 45 studies. I don't even I'm just doing it. I'm not even thinking about it. I think with shared learning, for me, I'm just reading and sharing. I'm not I'm not consciously thinking that I'm doing it because I'm in such a habit that it's it's just happening, you know, and that's that's what I'm trying to get embedded into the workplace is because. You know, things, the the average relevancy of his skill is only five years. Things are moving so fast um, that you need to catch up. You need to rely on the people you work with in order to stay relevant in the new economy. And it actually, every time you share and receive, that is another touch point, right? And, and again, you need to create as many touch points as possible within your organization, sharing an article, recognizing an employee. You know, all of these things add up to building a more human culture where employees and their leaders are more connected and thus they work harder and are more committed to the overall success.
0: Absolutely. I mean, you know, one of the things I always point out to people is that when we talk about shared learning, one of the things we have to realize is, you know, we're not sharing stuff out of obligation. We're sharing something because this sparked something in us. We had an emotional reaction to it and I always tell people like whenever I share stuff it's because oh my god this is so fascinating did you hear what this said did you read this article did you read this interview and so just that emotional context we provide from what we're sharing it piques people's curiosity and it creates that connection because people see wow in this emotional state you're connecting with me you're thinking of me and so I think that's where we see that sense of building that connection because now it's not just about the information it's also about imparting something of value something that we see value in that we think others could benefit from and i think so when i often talk to people about shared learning it's always from that context we have to move away from this idea that it's just well i'm just passing along information no it's really about how we're we're finding something that's we find of value that we think oh this person will really find this interesting really find it beneficial and so consequently that really cements that relationship and that dynamic I want to stay on this idea, though, of uh, creating this team connection, down because there's another area that actually it's quite interesting that it comes up in the context of us saying, okay, we're living in this digital environment. And that is this point about how to create this team connection, we have to embrace open collaboration. Now, on the surface, this would seem to be not much of an issue in terms of technological use, because when you think about it, it's thanks to various digital and online platforms that we're now able to collaborate with people who we might not have otherwise had the opportunity to do so. So what's the issue here that leaders need to be on the lookout for? And how should we really be embracing open collaboration in
1: terms of our teams and organization, Dan? Yeah, one of the things that I touch on in this chapter is about conflict resolution, and how people are trying to solve problems, even fire employees by text. And so I'm trying to say that, you know, you can text someone if they're late to a meeting, but when it comes to a real conflict that's happening in the workplace, it's much better done in person. Um, And listening, I think, is a really important skill, right? Like, you know, how can you serve people or resolve a conflict if you're not listening to why there's a dispute, why they have an issue. Uh, I think as leaders, we have to take a step back and really understand other people's perspective, and then figure out what makes sense. Like, how can you, you know, solve the problem and make sure both parties are are leaving in a a positive state. You know, and and things are not easy, and there's always conflicts in the workplace, and we we need to leave that for in person and not use technology and let devices get in between those conversations that are really critical to those work relationships, you know? And so I think, you know, technology can facilitate some of the real connections. They can, you know, you can book a conference room, right. Or get on each other's calendars. But when you're actually in a, physically with them, you need to handle it face to face and open communication is so powerful, you know, whether it's, sharing obstacles, ideas, asking questions, you know, things, again, things are happening so fast as c- kind of connects to the shared learning chapter that as long as you're open and you're, you're honest, and you tell people what's really happening within the organization, what they have to watch out for, you're going to instill trust, which is, you know, one of the best ways to engage your team. The interesting thing about this is how this really does upend our perception of
0: collaboration in the context of using the digital tools, which we of course tend to believe are actually improving our ability to collaborate, but as you point out, it does to a point, but we have to make sure we're not using them to the exclusion of actual person-to-person connection, whether that's being in the same room for a meeting or connecting as we are doing right now, Dan, over uh, the internet. So now, Dan, I want to jump ahead to the third and final area you write about on how leaders can create these stronger connections with and amongst their employees, and that is the area of building organizational connection. And one of the steps to doing this that you write about is hiring for personality. Now, I don't want to get into this section too much because I'd really like to focus on the other two, but I still want to get your insights on something I read a lot about and would really appreciate getting your perspective on as someone who's an expert on issues pertaining to the millennial generation. Now, there's been a lot written over the last couple of years about how organizations should shift from hiring people based on their skill set or experiences and instead hire more for culture fit. But at the same time, though, in that same time of this last couple of years, we've been seeing a lot of articles being written about the millennial generation entering the workforce and how organizations need to adapt and change their culture to better cater to this generational cohort, which I believe earlier this year now makes up the majority of today's workforce. And interestingly, one of the things that's often noted is how one of the adaptations organizations need to make is that they need to be more open to using digital platforms, whether that's texting or using Slack or other digital mediums, that's because that's what millennials are most comfortable with. Yeah, so it's So are organizations adapting to the wrong things when it comes to who they should be hiring, at least in the context of millennial workers, and also for the next generation that's more digitally connected than they are?
1: Yeah, first off. There's been a lot of new research out this year about how if your workplace looks very irrelevant and archaic, people are not going to want to work for your company. So the actual work space is important. I think overall, if you think about how to attract young people, it's about flexibility. We found that in various studies of thousands of people that after compensation, flexibility is number one, even over healthcare. And then after health care, it's learning and development. So, I I mean, to attract young people in general, and this will, I'm sure, be similar with Gen Z, it's these are the benefits that are most important. So those are the ones that you should prioritize. And the word flexibility is very broad. I think there's flexibility in terms of in terms of dress code, you know, wearing jeans versus a suit. I think it's flexibility in terms of actual space. So you walk into a corporate office and you know, it's like a WeWork or co-working space where You know, you can work in the lounge area, you can work in a huddle room, you can work in the cafeteria, you can have a cubicle, like you have options. People want that flexibility. And then there's flexibility in terms of telecommuting, flexible hours and job sharing. So people overall want, uh, flexibility and there's a million new millennial moms every year. So that's corporations are being forced to have flexible programs. It's just naturally happening. But when it comes to hiring for personality, I think it's more broad. I don't think it's just for millennials. I think it's just overall, like for instance, some of the personality traits that I highlight in this chapter are confidence. You want someone who appears confident, meaning that they've done this type of work before because then you can watch like how they describe their work and their projects that they've done in the past. And, and you can listen to the tone if it feels like if they're stuttering, if they're very unsure of themselves, that's a signal that they lack the confidence and that, that uh, could signal that they lack competence in that specific area. I think that attitude is really important. Um, you know, I think positivity and attitude too the traits I discussed, that go hand in hand. I have been thinking a lot about it this year because I have friends who have such positive attitudes and it's made them likable. Right. Yeah, if you have a very positive attitude, these are people you want to work with and it happens very naturally Like you just want to spend more time with them And if someone has a negative attitude, you definitely don't want to work with them because it's gonna hurt the morale of the rest of the team So for me the reason why I got my first job out of school I wasn't the smartest person I was competing against a former director at Polaroid and others Uh, the reason why I got the job is because I did whatever it took to get the job. I had the right attitude. I really, really wanted to work for the company and those are the people you should want to hire the people who will do whatever it takes to work for your company, because it means that when they actually step foot into the office and get to work, they're going to be the most productive workers, happiest, and stay with you the longest. You know, their effort of their effort in trying to work at your company is an indication of how hard they'll work when they're actually at your company. Uh, And then I think professionalism is important. I think even in today where the workplace is becoming more casual, it's really important to be professional with how you handle yourself because you need to be taken seriously, especially if you're a leader. People are looking up to you. Um, And then curiosity, if people are not asking questions in the interview, they're just not that interested, you know. That you need natural curiosity. We should always be learning. I was just asked today um, by Time Magazine. They're like, oh, can you you know, recommend a book uh, on retiring early? I don't even believe in retirement. I think you should always be learning. I think even if you're 80 years old, if you're not reading and, and learning something new, then you'll pro- you probably will live uh, even shorter life. You probably won't have too many more years, right? You have to keep your mind going. I think that's really important because even now, like I, I think, I don't know if I'm working harder than I did in my twenties, but you know, I feel more youthful because I'm just learning, learning is seven days a week. I'm always doing it. So I don't feel like I've aged in a sense. You know, while we're in this section
0: about creating this organizational connection, there is another chapter, again, that really resonated with me, and that is this section that you write about leading with empathy, which, again, is something I've written about extensively. And again, I'll share links to those articles of mine on the show notes on my website for those who want to learn more about this. But I think for this discussion, we do need to get clear about what we're talking about in the context of leaders building organizational connections. And there's a great line in your book that summarizes beautifully where you write, empathy, isn't about feeling bad for someone who's going through a major crisis. It's the daily expressions and gestures that keep people feeling secure in their jobs. And I think one thing we can all appreciate is that one of the downsides of our digital world is that we're actually showing less empathy, especially for those who are outside our tribe, our in-group, or whatever term you want to use. That basically, if we don't have an affinity for someone for whatever reason— We're not inclined to demonstrate empathy in terms of understanding their reality. And one of the ways we're seeing this manifesting itself in the workplace is the rise of workplace bullying and harassment. In fact, you share a study that found that more than 60 million workers in the U.S. are affected by on-the-job bullying. So in this digital world that we all live in, how do we make sure our smartphones are not diminishing our ability to empathize? And what should leaders be doing to foster greater empathy,
1: to build those organizational connections, Dan? I, I think technology is definitely making it harder to empathize because you're just seeing so much negativity that you're not, you're, you become desensitized. I mean, think of what happens in New York, like there's homeless people everywhere. People are, all these people are suffering. There's so many protests and you're not even thinking about it. It becomes part of daily life. And so that makes it harder to empathize when you just constantly see all of this. Um, I think in the workplace, what's critical is that you realize that someone could be in pain emotionally, but not physically. You might not see a physical scar, but maybe they have anxiety or they're bipolar or they had a death in the family in the morning. Like, So we have to give people space. I remember there was a viral article last year about an employee that wanted a mental health day and the manager supported her and it went you know, to millions of people because no one really talks about mental health in the, in the workplace. And yet it is so important when a third of people suffer from anxiety and depression and you know, it's 85% of employees say that there's a stigma around mental health in the workplace. In the UK, it's like just a few per, something like three to 5% of uh, employees would actually go to HR about their mental health issue. So, We're not there yet, but I think it's important for leaders to lead and and lead with empathy because it'll make people feel more safe and secure so they'll be able to bring their full self into the workplace and be the best employee they can be. So, Dan, we've covered a lot of ground here, so I'm wondering if you could
0: leave us with some insights on what one thing leaders should start with to begin this process of creating a workplace where employees truly feel that sense of connection and belonging, and that we're addressing this growing issue of isolation in the workplace. What one message would you like to
1: leave our listeners with today? The biggest message is let technology be a bridge to human connection instead of a barrier. Let it remove some of the tedious tasks that you don't want to do. Let it, you know, set up a meeting for you. But when you're in that meeting or your time is freed up, try and have more human relationships by picking up the phone or having in-person conversations. And if you work remote, try and do more video conferencing because, you know, we need human connection. And as leaders, we need to be able to support each other and learn from each other, empathize, and make the workplace a better place for everyone because work has such a huge impact on our personal lives. Thanks, Dan. As technology continues to grow and transform today's workplaces, I
0: think it's becoming increasingly important that leaders pay attention to how it's adversely impacting employees and with it, their organization's ability to achieve its goals. So thanks for coming on my show to share your research findings and insights on this timely issue. Thank you very much. So, some interesting insights on how leaders should be utilizing technology in today's workplaces by best-selling author and millennial expert Dan Shawbel. So if you want to learn more about Dan's latest book, Back to Human, as well as some of the articles I mentioned about purpose, empathy, as well as my TEDx talk on purpose, check out the show notes for this episode at Tanvinasir.com. That's T-A-N-V-E-E-R-N-A-S-E-E-R rcom And that's it for this episode of Leadership Biz Café. If you have any questions or comments, drop me a note through the contact form on my website. And if you enjoyed this episode, please do me a favor in helping to support this podcast by writing a quick review on the platform that you're listening to this episode on, whether that's Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or other podcast platforms. This is Tavir Nasir, and you've been listening to Leadership Biz Café.